All right, back on the Young Turks. Joining me now, Cal Penn. So, Cal, great to have you here. Good to be here. In case people have been living in a box, <laughs> Cal was in Harold and Kumar Go to White Castle, designated survivor, House, 28 other shows. He's got a new, he was, of course, also in the Obama administration. We'll talk about that in a sure. second. But he's also got in the new show, Sunnyside. Why are you studying? There's no class today. This isn't for class. Michelle and I have our spousal interview coming up for my green card. They ask a lot of personal questions about your relationship, so I want to make sure I know every detail. Now, those interviews can be tough. I have a friend who got sent back to Ethiopia just because he didn't know what kind of energy bars his wife liked. Also, he was selling rare parrots out of the trunk of his car. It may have been that. You know, these questions don't seem so bad. <clears throat> what color is Michelle's toothbrush? Blue. Oh, green. No, this is a trick question. She doesn't have teeth. Oh, yes, she has teeth, I think. So I started on NBC, now on Hulu. Now on Hulu and NBC.com. So if folks don't have Hulu, you can still watch it for free on, on their app and their, their website. Okay, so let's start on Sunnyside because I want to get to how you got to be an actor. Yeah, okay. oh man, all right, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This goes back to New Jersey, but go ahead. Yes, go in fact, that's right. <laughs> so uh, we're both Jersey guys. Yeah. Um, and, and that also relates to why me and everyone I know loved Harold and Kumar. <laughs> okay, when it first came out, obviously. Uh, so uh, first of all, Sunnyside is in Queens. It's in Queens, yeah. Right, but you didn't grow up in Queens, you grew up in Jersey. I grew up in Jersey, but we, Early on, before Edison, New Jersey became the hotbed of where brown folks could get groceries, uh, <laughs> right. you would have to go to Queens. You'd have to go to Flushing and Jackson Heights, especially. And so, I, you know, I sort of remember as a little kid, probably once a month, packing up the station wagon, going to Queens for lunch and to shop. There was a temple there. There's still a temple there. Uh, and so, when we were looking for a place to set the show, we wanted it. You know, it's a very patriotic comedy, so we wanted it to be a, a place that looks like if you put every town in America in one, what is that? And it's actually like Jackson Heights and Flushing. Flushing is a terrible title for a show. So we were <laughs> well, like, it depends okay, how which direction you're going. Yeah, no, for us, we want to, you know, <laughs> aspirational. Um, and Sunnyside is is not too far from there and has similar demographics. So yeah. that's where we set it. Um, look, I know you don't want the show to be political, and you've actually planned this long time ago, right? Yeah. So. But it is kind of Tucker Carlson's worst nightmare. <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> right. Uh, so uh, now I want to go back to New Jersey in a second. But what happens in the show? So in the show, right. So five years ago, yeah, was the, the original idea for the show, which is about a, a bunch of immigrants uh, who basically become friends in this community in New York City. And so I play a disgraced city councilman who was the youngest ever elected, uh, loses his seat because he gets wasted on the BQE highway and uh, tries to bribe a cop. To not arrest him for public intoxication, loses his job and realizes he has no other skills. Like he's been this wasteoid of a of a city council person. Um, so like a normal politician. Normal politician. Okay. And uh -huh. posts an ad on like a <laughs> Craigslist, basically saying, "For fifty bucks an hour, I'll do whatever you want." And after a lot of demeaning things happen to him, this group of immigrants hire him for the day to basically say, "Help us study for our." Our citizenship test, not knowing that he really truly knows absolutely nothing about the process and has just been scamming the system for 15 years. Um, and that's and you of, still say this isn't about Trump. This I'm still <laughs> well look, so the original idea behind it obviously had nothing to do with how polarized our country is right now. But uh, if you ask our writers who have written 11, I think really funny, poignant episodes. I mean, every day they have to be mindful of what the actual tyrannical administration is doing because we're a show about uh, immigrants, and so some of the stuff has to track. Like we've got a DACA recipient, we've got folks who have come under very different circumstances. We've got people who are there on like the millionaire visa, 
you know, and, uh -huh. and so you do sort of, our writers have the difficult task of actually trying to figure out what has changed overnight, who's he going after now, just for the sole purpose of our comedy. It's a comedy first and foremost, but we're also aware of the world we live in. Are one of your writers a millionaire? <laughs> no, no, not the writers, the, <laughs> okay. to the characters. Okay. Two of the characters are the kids of billionaires, oh, the, the kids of Chinese billionaires that are loosely based on an Icelandic family that, that somebody knows. Oh, okay, because <laughs> I was gonna say, I am obviously in the wrong profession. No. I was a comedy writer for no, like no. three and a half seconds, yeah. and I was thought like, oh, I should have stayed, <laughs> I should have stayed. Okay, well, I wouldn't have made it anyway. But um, so I saw that uh, one of the writers actually talked about a, a cure for the common cold, like you guys had an episode about this. Something about onions in the socks, and I'm an immigrant, but I, yeah. even I hadn't heard that one. We have two of our writers, our, our two brothers, uh, they're Bosnian, and they told this great story in the writer's room one day. We were talking about home remedies and uh -huh. what, you know, what immigrant parents or grandparents bring with you. And they were saying, you know, we have this memory when we moved to America, I think they were 12 years old, you know, they, they would get colds and their mom would put onions and vinegar and a few other things into socks uh -huh. and make them sleep with these onion socks on. Obviously. And that was supposed to get rid of the cold. And it was just, everyone had a story for some, you know, home remedy that was like that, that obviously is meaningless. Uh, and so there's a line in one of the episodes where there's an Ethiopian um, character who's actually a doctor who's driving a cab and is talking to the, the DACA kid uh, about some home remedy and the Ethiopian guy goes, yeah, in Ethiopia we have something similar. But instead we use antibiotics is what we use <laughs> to actually treat the cold. So there's like, you know, it's, the, the, it's dumb fun comedy with a very purposely subversive kind of edge to it. All right, I love it. I remember when I was a kid growing up in Turkey, I came when I was eight. Um, there was a theory that if you open up a window on one side of the house and the, and the other side of the house, instantly everyone in the house is gonna be a, get sick. <laughs> Right, uh -huh. and it, and but and the other misunderstanding that I had because I was a little kid, especially when I went back to Turkey, and then I was starting to forget Turkish. Yeah. Right, the word for draft, like getting a draft through the house, mm -hmm. and electrocuted sound incredibly <laughs> similar. So I was like, I get the, I think I get the part where you get sick if there's windows open yeah. on two sides of the house, but why are we going to get electrocuted? Yeah, well <laughs> And has no one noticed that we never got electrocuted? Right, right, why is that still a thing? Why are we still scared to be electrocuted? <laughs> anyway, so these are fun immigrant stories. But look, that's not a depressing part of what's happening today in the country. I used to be able to make fun of myself a lot more. Like yeah. I'd make a lot of Muslim jokes, Sure. right? But now I'm like worried that I'm aiding and abetting people yeah. who actually hate Muslims. Yeah. So like we like, are we still allowed to like make fun of ourselves? You see what I'm saying? Yeah, look, it's a the real fear is like what do you talk about outside the family so to speak, right? Like yeah. how do you can you still have the kind of humor that you have when when we were putting the show together our mandate was be funny first and foremost. And what I wanted was a show that was incredibly diverse that told authentic diverse stories but that could appeal to a wide range of people and when we put the cast together we told our casting director Allison Jones just bring us the funniest people. And she did and we changed a bunch of ethnicities along the way. Our writers room is also in addition to the show being the most diverse show on TV right now, it's the writers room is the most diverse show. I think both in the history of television is what a couple of journalists have told us. And what was amazing about that is this is it's a workplace where we show up to work and you don't have to explain yourself. You don't have to like have the boring conversation about somebody asking some dumb question because they've never been around a second or third generation person even with immigrant parents or grandparents. That's really liberating and refreshing but also because we get to just be funny, you know? Mm -hmm. Like your comedy background like you just want to be funny at the end of the day and if you can do it in a way 
that your audience, our audience, our dream audience is the people like us who never had this stuff to grow up with. We want it to be patriotic, we want it to be, you know, we watch the news and we're horrified. Is there a show where people actually look like us, they're dealing with the stuff that our communities are dealing with, and then you're just gonna laugh your butt off uh, while you're doing all that, and, and it's been a really great experience. In fact, I read that Mississippi Masala was a big inspiration for you, it which was. gets us back to Jersey and yeah, how you became yeah. an actor. Yeah, I, Mississippi Masala came out when I was probably in seventh grade. It was Mira Nair's uh, second film, I think. Um, Denzel Washington and Sarita Chaudhary, and that was the first time that I had seen people who looked like us who were humans on screen. Because mm -hmm. up until then, it was either folks in brown face or it was you know cartoons like The Simpsons and Brown Voice or whatever. Right. And there was something- And Justin Trudeau. Really? Yeah. <laughs> right, exactly, a long <laughs> list of politicians. Yeah. And you, I just, I had never seen that before, and so I was like, oh wow, in addition to being a really interesting movie, I thought, well, if they can do this, maybe I can do this too. Maybe I can be a storyteller, maybe I can be funny or I don't know. Uh, um, and that was the first time that I thought I want to maybe pursue a career in the arts and had a chance to work with Mira and I years later. And, uh, yeah. But yeah, that, that was one of several experiences early on. So uh, Cal's actually from the same town that my parents uh, live in yeah. and uh, home of Bruce too. Bruce, Bruce so, uh So we will never be the most famous person <laughs> from our town. No, there's no way. There's no way. And New, New Jersey's such a populous state that people always throw out like the, the people that you're happy to be grouped with, like right. Queen Latifah and Lauren Hill, and just there, there's no shortage. And then like, oh, you're from Bruce Springsteen's town? Oh, it'll never be my town. Yeah, it'll be Bruce's right. town. That's you know? right. Uh, I originally grew up in East Brunswick, New Jersey, uh, which is the uh, town of several other famous people like Josh Miller, who was a punter for the NFL. And they're like, you'll never be that famous. <laughs> <laughs> we were in the same class. To be fair, well, Josh won a Super Bowl. Yeah. Right. Well, yeah. <laughs> um, so, uh, but uh, you're, you're growing up in New Jersey, you see this thing. Yeah. But I know it, having a similar background, um, when I said to my parents, uh, hey, you know, I went to business school, I went to law school, but you know, I'm gonna put those aside and I'm gonna become a radio talk show yeah. host. My dad's like, oh, easy, take me now. Yeah, yeah. Take me now, <laughs> right? So he was a little shell-shocked by that. And he goes, Where do you go to school for become talk show host? Yeah. Right? My dad, there is no school, right? Right. So now, in your case, how do your parents react? Uh, similarly, I think with a different, I don't know that they were George and Wheezy fans, but, <laughs> but, but similarly, right? I mean, they, you don't, no immigrant moves to America for your child to pursue the le one of the least stable professions, which is really <laughs> either athletics or the arts, right, I would right. imagine. Yeah. Um, and so it was tough. It was a lot of years of explaining, uh, you know, even the like, well, this is gonna make me happy. And then, of course, that's the worst thing you could say. It's like, what do you know about happiness at 17? You don't know anything, which yeah. is also true, by the way. As right. an adult, you realize, like, okay, what they were. But I, I've talked to my parents about it recently, uh, and I said, you know, did I embarrass you? Like, how badly did I embarrass you as a kid? Yeah. And they said it wasn't about embarrassment, it was about our fears. We were scared for you. We were scared that we yes. moved all the way across the world and we sacrificed so much, and we just didn't want you to have to deal with as difficult a life as what we had to deal with. And I thought that that was really, you know, had they said that in those words at 17, it would have been meaningless, by the way, right? Because uh -huh. you're 17 and you've got all that angst. Um, but yeah, it was it was tricky. And it, to make matters worse, by the way, one of the first big movies I did was Van Wilder with Ryan Reynolds, where I'm like naked, sliding off of a woman's body. Yeah, that, so yeah, it's like make it there, worse. there's no worse expression for your parents than like. By the way, I booked my first movie. That's the good news, mom. The bad news is here's the scene, and I remember showing my parents the script, and they got to that scene, and my mom 
thought it was pornography and she was very upset. Uh-huh. And then I had to explain why it's not pornography and I was like, you, you guys were right, this is not why you moved to America. I yeah. mean, slide <laughs> off of a naked woman in a movie. And you're like, no, no, it's okay, I'm gonna graduate to being a stoner later. <laughs> right, exactly, <laughs> don't worry. But the stoner was in med school, so I feel like that had some points. Yes, Kumar yes. was a doctor on his way to being a doctor. And, and look, that's the thing, if you guys, like a lot of people watch Helen Kumar and related to it for a million different reasons. And a lot of people relate to it for being a stoner, but for, uh, us kids who were immigrants growing up, uh, we related to it because, oh my God, those are us, that's us, yeah. that's us. And growing up in East Brunswick, uh, half my friends were Indian, half my friends were Asian, yeah. right? And the other half were Jewish, but I'm not good at math. <laughs> um, so, so everybody was so excited when Harold and Kumar came out because Finally, to your earlier point, it was us. It was us, and that's, I mean, every group, the three groups you just mentioned are the groups that made Harold and Kumar happen. The two uh, writers and creators, John Hurwitz and Hayden Schlossberg, like two Jewish guys from North Jersey who sat around going, how come our Indian and Asian friends are never the guys in these movies? Like there's sometimes an Asian guy with one line, if you go back to the 90s, and usually it's stereotypical. But when they get stoned and watch movies with their friends, they all stay the whole movie. They don't just leave, right? Yeah. And so they thought, let's just write the movie ourselves. And and it was a you know a little movie with small budget. I remember New Line Cinema was behind it, and it released, and it didn't do well in the box office. The first, oh, is that right? Yeah, it got pulled after the first two weeks. And I remember the 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 sentiment in Hollywood was, see, we told you, America's not ready for two Asian American men to lead a comedy. And for about three months, I was very upset because I didn't know how to process that. I'm like, mm. there's no way these guys are right because I feel like there's an audience for it. Then it comes out on HBO and DVD with no marketing and the fans find it themselves and they're buying the DVD and having watch parties and getting stoned with all their friends who stay for the whole movie. And <laughs> we're so thankful to the fans for that. It's it, it really showed, I think, it showed us that we were right in the sense that the audience isn't stupid. They really want fun content. They're not obsessed with what the characters look like. Like the movie played in Kansas and Oklahoma and Minnesota, right? Just as yeah. much as it did along the coast. So it had a special place for those of us who are the kids of immigrants who never got to see ourselves on TV. Um, but then it also played for audiences that will never maybe meet somebody who looks like us yeah. in their high school. Uh, and that that was my litmus for Sunnyside as well, where you know there's a reason we're the most diverse show out there right now is that nobody wants to do that. And I get it. And sometimes there's tokenization, and they've got you know one or two characters in their show, if that. Um, but there's a difference between tokenization and representation. And I think when you focus on representation, you tell really compelling universal stories that people can gravitate towards because they like the story. Right. So, you know, I, at this point, Harold Kumar is so legendary, and I don't use that lightly. I mean, everybody knows it. Like, you know, you can't, I don't think you find anybody that doesn't know Harold Kumar. That I'm shocked that it was only in the movie theaters two weeks. It was, yeah, but it did. I mean, it did well on DVD. It did well Obviously, for the. Yeah. We got a second and third out of it. Th- literally, thanks to the fans, though. If 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 you look at like how does a grassroots audience build a movie or a franchise, it is literally this. We thought it was done. It lasted two weeks. That was it. And really, it's solely because the fans gave us so much love. So we, I have nothing but love for them back. Well, that's the true for all of us outsiders, right? And when you're an immigrant, you're almost by definition an outsider. Nobody ever sees an immigrant that doesn't look like them go into a school and go, "Oh, that's one of us." Hey, come on in. <laughs> you're part of the cool kids now. That look, it doesn't mean that no immigrant that comes in winds up at, as part of the cool kids, but they got to get there. It's a struggle to get yeah. there, right? And so we're almost kind of natural born outsiders. 
and so we need you guys. And that's why we, I mean, what you described about Harold Kumar is exactly what happened with the Young Turks. Yeah. Right? We had no advantages, no insiders, no nothing. And these guys just came and lifted us up and said, yeah, we like that. Yeah. Right? The audience found you because you're a good show. You, you spoke to them and you resonated for a particular way. That's yeah, awesome. And, yeah, and, and again, having nothing to do with immigrants or anything like that, it just had to do with, oh, those guys are saying something that I like that nobody else is saying. Right. Right. In our cases, progressive yeah. coverage of the news, et cetera. Um, but, uh, but as you were talking, I realized, you know, Harold Kumar in some ways is the original Black Panther. Oh, man. Right? I mean, think about it. Like, I know that's a big thing to compare it to, but everybody was convinced, oh, you can't have all black cast. That's crazy, right? Everybody was convinced you can't have two leading Asian actors. They've always been wrong. They have always been wrong, but that's because you're, whenever, anytime you sell a product, the people who are in charge of the business of it, they don't know what to do. I mean, you can look at almost any movie like that. I remember. Remember that movie set it off? I don't know how it did, but oh my gosh, a movie with all black women, is that is that gonna work or, or can the protagonist be somebody we've never seen before? It happens in TV now even, right? As things yeah. shuffle from network to streaming to reality to whatever. People don't know, people that make the business decisions are, are scared. Um, and the silver lining to that is, is that audiences still are able to find the content that they like. For me, it was, it's funny because I know you're putting it in the, in the comedy genre and it's like, what a compliment, the Black Panther comparison. I remember things like when the Joy Luck Club came out, right? Mm -hmm. or, or Mississippi Masala, which was the first time I saw, that was, a, that was an all black, all Indian cast. And it took place in Mississippi and it, it did well at the time. So yeah. there are these examples of, you know, how do you tell your art? How do you make your stories when, when you're not necessarily even given the platform? And it's really inspiring to see all these people that do it. You know, so they say Hollywood is liberal in a lot of ways. It is uh, in terms of the actors and, and some of the talent, uh, but the executives are not at all liberal. Right. Okay, not at all. Crass capitalist. And kind of, <laughs> and also not, look, I'm gonna keep it real. I'm not in that business, so I don't care. Yeah. Not that bright, right? So they'll, they just go with simple formulas. Like, okay, crazy rich Asians did well. Okay, from now on, we're just making Asian movies. Right. No, that wasn't the point. That wasn't the point, yeah. right? Like maybe try to represent people in a normal way so people can relate to it. It's not that complicated. But anyway, I want I wanted to speaking of politics. I want to move to that because yeah. um, so how'd you go from acting to all of a sudden in the Obama administration? Uh, so it, uh, timing right around now in October of '07. So as the Bush administration was wrapping up and and the field was very crowded. Uh, the screenwriters went on strike in, in Hollywood. And so we couldn't, I was on the show House for, uh, at the time, couldn't really shoot anything. Uh, I got invited to an event that then Senator Obama was doing. This is October 07, so he was, I think he was still down significantly. He was down like 30 points in the polls that summer leading mm -hmm. up to it. I'd read his book. So you thought, sure winner. I thought, well, so I read his book, <laughs> I, I saw the speech, you know, the, the 04 DNC speech and all that, and I liked what he had to say. Uh, I. You know, I liked that he wasn't taking lobbyist money, but I'd never thought I wanted to volunteer for a presidential candidate. Um, and I saw a speech that he gave where he talked about the environment and, and had, there was no press in the room. And he called people out in the audience who had driven these like big hummers to his rally. And I thought, yeah. oh, that's like PolySci 101 is don't do that. Don't yeah. these people are donating to your campaign. I'm like, that guy might be the real deal on certain issues. Let me let me explore this. So I went to Iowa for three days to volunteer for his campaign and ended up falling in love with that experience and stayed until the Iowa caucuses and then had the chance to go to 26 other states. And so at the end of that very long, uh, very heated campaign, mostly between Obama and Hillary, 
he ends up winning the nomination, winning the presidency, and then had the chance to, to work in the White House Office of Public Engagement, mostly on youth outreach and outreach to Asian American Pacific Islander communities. So what are you gonna say, no, I have another stoner movie to make? Like, <laughs> I'm honored to serve my country for these two years. And then we'll go back to my first love, which is always making people laugh in, you know, in the arts. But Did Glenn Beck ever try to get you fired? Uh, I, so he did try to get a lot of people in my office fired. Um, I remember one of one of my bosses, Buffy Wicks, who's now uh, in an elected office here in California. She's fantastic, and he like put up all these weird. Uh, I don't know if he got emails or, or we couldn't. There was no. We weren't using Twitter at the time, but no, he was very obsessed with our office because the whole point of the Office of Public Engagement was to make sure that every American proverbially has a seat at the table, which was the whole point of the president's campaign, and Republicans couldn't handle that. Yeah. Uh, of course, Glenn Beck doesn't want everybody to have a right. seat at the table. He wants people oh, that look like him to have yes. a seat at the table. Yeah. So well, that's funny. That. I was kidding. I didn't know that he had attacked you guys, oh, but yeah. now it totally yeah, yeah, makes no, sense. He went after our office. They, the, it, it, you know. But you expect that of any time that you're trying to make sure that everybody's voice is represented. And if you look at the the types of issues we we were working on, I was there when we worked on the Dream Act, which failed by five votes. And by the way, five Democrats, if I'm not mistaken, voted no on it. So mm. it wasn't even that we were up against conservatives who would obviously oppose a president like him, but it was even within the Democratic Party, which you know you think about a lot now as as the primary is heating up. It's like, okay, well, are there lessons to be learned? And then also, no matter who wins the nomination, what about the House and the Senate and local races? And that person's going to need votes to line up, and hopefully, it'll be a candidate who's farther to the left of Obama because that's how things grow and progress. And we'll see what happens. That's a billion <laughs> percent right. In fact, I think you summarize it better there than ninety nine percent of politicians. Guys, how are we going to actually pass the bills? Yeah, that's the most important thing. In order to pass the bills, you need the House and the Senate, and it's often the Democrats that vote no. And so yeah. it's an uncomfortable truth people don't like to talk about. Right. So I heard that, and I don't. You tell me if you're right or wrong. Yeah. That in last election cycle, that you supported Bernie in the primaries. Yes. Okay. Yeah, supported Bernie in the primaries. I I thought it was helpful to, um, you know, it seemed like Hillary was going to win the nomination, and of course she did. And I thought it's helpful to move her to the left on certain issues. I particularly liked his college plan, you know, mm-hmm. free college. And then, of course, moderate Democrats and all your Republican friends are like, you know, it's not free. I'm like, I know, rich people have to pay more taxes so that college can be free for everybody else. That's mm-hmm. how it's paid for, essentially. And, right. uh, and I thought that was great. And look, she, when she got the nomination, she took his college affordability plan. I understand the cynics, you know, on our side were like, well, she's just doing that to win votes. I'm like, well, yeah, because that's how an election works. Literally, yeah. <laughs> you do get what you want, um, but yeah, I thought you know I, I'm a I'm a of the belief that, and I know people attack Bernie and Warren. I haven't picked somebody yet for for the current cycle, but people go after Bernie and Warren all the time for aiming for a thousand percent. Like, well, that's too lofty; it's never going to happen. Well, sure, a thousand percent of what they're aiming for is not going to happen, but twenty percent of that thousand percent is still a huge amount of progress. And if the other candidates are promising five percent, you're going down to what 05 percent. I'd rather mm-hmm. take the person aiming for a thousand percent who's going to give us twenty percent, and help wrangle enough votes around that for those policies to to be effective. So I think it's a little silly to say like, oh, that's just a pipe dream. It's the same people who go, Obama should have blah blah blah. Sure, there were mistakes he made, but this like revisionist thing that oh he he had this magic wand that he just decided he wasn't going to use mm-hmm. is a little bit I think mm-hmm. a, a small minded way of thinking about the complexities of things, and that's why I hope. Yeah, you go for it's a primary, man. You go farther to the left, and you end up somewhere else. If you go to the right now, then the alt right has won by bringing the Democratic Party farther to the right. See, there's a reason why you worked at the White House. That's better political analysis than almost any politician. Is it? I don't know. Swear to God. 
So I'm just really high right now, so, was, <laughs> so I'm not. Right. Don't worry. Anyone, everyone, check out Sunnyside. It's on Hulu now. And by the way, it's not just about immigration issues. It also deals with episodes on LGBTQ issues. Yeah, as this well. week's episode, especially. We've I don't think there's ever been an episode with our one of our series regulars, Griselda, and her wife, who we meet in last the episode that just dropped on Hulu last night. They they're sharing their immigration story. They're also like. Phenomenally hilarious because it's basically just about a bickering couple. Um, so all of this stuff we do in a purposely understated way that represents all of us uh, and makes audiences laugh. So hopefully, uh, you know, it's it's groundbreaking without beating anybody over the head with anything. And I think straddling that line, we've had a lot of fun with. All right, awesome, Cal yeah. Penn. Thank, Thank you, brother. You. I appreciate, appreciate it. it. All right, guys. Uh, for all of you guys out there who are members, we still have a post game coming up. tyt.com/slash/join. So that'll be back in just a minute. And for everyone else, we'll see you on Monday.